Stay standing as we pray together for a moment. Lord, let us hide ourselves in you. You who were split for us. You who bled for us. You who thirst for us. So come, Lord, and speak to us out of your word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And draw us, Jesus, to your Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The fifth word comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, starting in the 28th verse. Later, it had been six hours when this happened. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, and you have to wait for the seventh word to find out. Jesus has been on the cross for six hours at this point. He's put on the cross at nine o'clock in the morning, we're told. At noon, the sun goes dark. There's earthquakes. Rocks are split open. And so we've had three hours of darkness at this point. And this passage starts off with something amazing. It says this, later, knowing that everything had now been finished... And so the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Well, not everything had been finished. If Jesus had stopped here, if he hadn't died, if he hadn't been resurrected, if he hadn't ascended into heaven, we would have been left hanging and lost. But I think Jesus is giving us a hint here as to something absolutely amazing. So, If you go up in an airplane and you're going to jump out with a parachute, at any moment during the takeoff, during the ascent, during the at at full altitude, you can change your mind. You can no longer jump out. But the minute that you've jumped from that plane, you don't have any more decisions. Does that make sense? And so What Jesus is saying here is that every single moment leading up until this moment, I have been here by my choice, and I have been in control. Every single moment, he has been in control. So Pastor Ed started us off with the trial that took place overnight that was illegal, and the fact that Jesus was punched repeatedly. He had a crown of thorns driven into his head. He was flogged 39 times. The reason he wasn't given 40 lashes is because the the Romans said that anyone who received 40 lashes was legally dead. He was flogged 39 times, so he had basically no skin left anywhere on the back of his legs or back. And at every point, he's been in control. And so he says, I'm thirsty here. He says, I'm thirsty And he says this is to fulfill scripture. Robbie pointed us to Psalm 22, which is a brutal examination of what what Jesus went through. That David was probably writing in hyperbole or something. He wasn't being crucified. But David somehow managed to 
accurately predict item after item after item that Jesus went through. The pain, the blood, the thirst. And of all the things that Jesus could have complained about, could have mentioned, thirst is an interesting one for him to bring up. Because Jesus had been talking about thirst from the beginning of his ministry. It's a major theme. It's not a random thing. He doesn't say, my back hurts. He doesn't say, I can't breathe. He doesn't say all the other things that he could have said. Instead, he says, I thirst. Thirst is fascinating. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but once you're thirsty, you can't fix it. Once you start to notice that you're thirsty, it never goes away. If you're hungry, you can sort of ride it out and you no longer have, and, and you, you get over it. It comes in waves. Thirst doesn't go away. Um, in 1965, my parents made the very strange choice of, uh, as soon as they were married, joining the Peace Corps and going to Afghanistan, where they spent three years. And so the, the, all of their water came out of wells. All of their water was carried on their person. It wasn't readily available. And that meant that for the next 20 years that I was under their roof, once I was born, my dad had water bottles everywhere. He knew what it was like to be thirsty, and so every single time we got in the car, do you have a water bottle? He took care of us that way. Meanwhile, none of the kids have ever been thirsty. We were taken care of because he knew what it's like to thirst. And he knew that once you don't have the ability to drink, it's excruciating and it doesn't go away. So Jesus says, I'm thirsty. He's referring to Psalm 22 as Robbie made allusion to. In Psalm 22, it says this, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. He's also quoting Psalm 69. They gave me gall for my food, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. This is actually standard practice. Um, at the base of every cross, there is a jar filled with vinegar, and it's to kind of help the... Um, help the prisoners survive what they're going through. And the interesting thing is that if you, start, if you combine the gospel narratives and you look at the chronology of the crucifixion, earlier on, Mark mentions Jesus being offered vinegar. In Mark 15, right before he's crucified, it says this, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it. Wine mixed with myrrh is kind of like Advil. It's something that will... Deaden the pain, deaden your senses so that you can endure the torture that you're going through. And at that point, before the crucifixion, Jesus was offered a way of not being fully present, and he chose to endure the cross. He chose to endure everything. He wanted his faculties fully available. He wanted to be fully president, uh, present to what he was going through. And part of the reason for that is that what he was going through was saying these seven last words. He knew that 2,000 years later, we would be gathered in this room. We would be gathered on the internet, which hadn't been even imagined at that point. And we would be reflecting on and studying and revisiting his words on the cross. 
And so he says that this has to be fulfilled. Later, knowing that everything has now, had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge in a, on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. Do you recognize, can you see when God is putting things together? Robbie and I did not share notes on the sermon. But it's extremely relevant that he brought up the plagues of Egypt. That wasn't random. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God communicating with us and saying, hey, pay attention. I want you to get this. Robbie brought up the plagues. Talked about darkness to the point that people couldn't even see each other. They just had to stay home for three days. The final plague that Moses introduced and that God did in the, in the country of Egypt before the Israelites were thrown out was this. Moses went to Pharaoh and said, if you don't let us go, every firstborn will die. Every firstborn of the Egyptians will die. But Moses went to the Israelites and he said, I want you to do something. I want you to take the blood of a lamb and I want you to take, I want you to paint the top lintel across the top and the two doorposts of your home with the blood of the lamb. And the angel of death that is killing the firstborn of all of the Egyptians will pass over your home and you will not be touched. Right now in Jesus' world, Jesus is celebrating the Passover feast. That's what they're doing in Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They come into the city to Hosanna to the son of David for the Passover feast. This is the right time. And the interesting thing is that what Moses tells the Israelites is to use a hyssop plant to paint the door. Now, what happens when you take a plant that's got leaves and flowers and things on it? This is not a straight rod. This is a flowering plant. And you dip a sponge in vinegar. And you lift it up to somebody's lips who is covered from head to toe in blood. You end up, by accident, dipping the hyssop branch in the blood of Jesus. Jesus is called the Lamb of the world. John the Baptist, when he first sees Jesus before Jesus even begins his ministry, says, behold the Lamb of God who comes into the world to take the sin of the world away. And so the very same thing that happened at Passover in Egypt is happening now at the cross, and it's not even Jesus doing it. It's the Roman soldiers. Why? Because Jesus is in control. Every single thing that he's doing, every single thing that he's enduring is because he wants to. Because he wants to. Even to the point that he controls which plant a Roman soldier grabs in order to feed him vinegar. And Jesus drinks the vinegar this time because he knows that it's over. There are no more decisions to be made. He's jumped from the plane. And the only thing in front of him is to die. So when he says, I'm thirsty, he's describing really for the first time how he feels physically. Um, I was having a a conversation with some of um, the college and career flock that I get to shepherd. 
and they were, it was a random discussion of, of horrible ways to die, and they had come up with some really creative stuff that they'd been reading about um, and, and looking into. And I challenged them, and I said, is that worse than crucifixion? Is that actually worse? And they had come up with, you know, they'd found all kinds of medieval tortures and that sort of thing. And the more we talked about it and the more we actually researched it, there was nothing that even came close to crucifixion. I read um, on Tuesday night for the college and career group a medical examination that goes on for about six pages that describes in detail what a human body experiences, what Jesus' body particularly experienced in crucifixion, and it's excruciating, and there's no point at which you can pass out, and there's no point at which you can make the time go faster, and there's no point at which you don't have anything other than absolutely excruciating pain from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And yet he says, I choose to do this. I want to do this. And we're told why. In Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 3, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But then there's another verse, and it says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The reason we do this on Good Friday is so that we as believers do not grow weary and lose heart. We are reminded of what it cost Jesus. We're reminded of what it cost God. And to close, I want to point out one thing. We're tempted in this to say that the suffering of Jesus means that we never have to suffer. But Jesus used water and thirst, and drinking in two separate ways throughout his life. The first was literal. The first was what he's saying here on the cross. And, and it's, it's, I'm thirsty, I haven't had anything to drink, and my body is dehydrated. I've had so much blood loss that I'm parched, and the tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. But the second way is this river of living water that he keeps talking about. His very first ministry encounter is with a Samaritan woman, and he asks her for a drink. And then he challenges her and said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. Because I will give you a spring welling up inside of you to eternal life. And the woman beautifully misunderstands him completely and said, that would be great, so I don't have to come here in the middle of the day and come to this well anymore because this bucket is heavy. But what Jesus is talking about is himself inside her, welling up to eternal life. 
And we would love to never be thirsty again and never have to deal with coronavirus again and never have a family relationship that falls apart again and never have our knees hurt again and never have our hair fall out and never have our children rebel and never and never and never and never. But Jesus actually says in this world you will have trouble. You're going to have trouble. And we want it so badly to mean that we will never be physically thirsty again because he thirsted for us. But he's always operating on multiple planes at the same time. And so when he says, I thirst here, he's not just saying that he thirsts for water. He's saying what David says in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants after you. My God, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? As Robbie pointed out, he's crying out, why have you forsaken me? Where can I go to meet with God? Where is my best friend and my father and my soulmate who I've never been separated from for all of eternity? And Jesus keeps offering us that. And the danger is, is that we keep saying, I'm too worried about the glass of water to worry about the spring that wells up into everlasting life. I'm too worried about my job. I'm too worried about my family. And those are real pains, and Jesus understands them. But he's asking you tonight, He's asking you tonight, do you want me? Do you want me? Because I paid this to be with you forever. So let's come before this Lord in prayer. Jesus, when you cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That last word, as Robbie pointed out, tells us why you did it. To purchase us. And yet, Lord, too often, too often we want you to solve our physical dilemmas and we don't want you in return. We don't want to walk with you. We don't want to be comforted by you. We don't want your provision. Your well-done, good and faithful servant isn't loud enough and we want the approval of people around us. So, Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry. And we ask, God, that you would change our hearts. And we know, Lord, that you will change our hearts because you promised to. You said, I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So take a moment before the Lord. And whatever the thing you want him to do more than you want him himself Confess it to him. Name it. O Lord Jesus Christ, who even though you wonderfully fashioned all things, stooped to take upon yourself human form, and being found in human form, endured the cross, despising its shame, we love you for every parched and painful moment spent on our behalf, that we might drink the water of life freely and live. 
even as your strength was dried up like a pot shirt and your tongue cleaved to the jaws of your mouth. It was that spring of living, it was that springs of living water might well up within us unto eternal life. With grateful hearts, we praise you this day. Amen.